Well, isn't it great? Good morning to all of you. It's good to have you back. Uh, back to Gesundheit with Jacobus Sunday mornings. I tell you what, um, we're going to have a wonderful program today talking about our eye health, the health of the eyes. And we're going to do that with Dr. Edward Kondrat, who is on the phone with me from Sedona in Arizona. And uh, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about the program. We talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles. And that's really what the word Gesundheit means. It means health or good health. So it, uh, some people say it means bless you, and that is very nice. But uh, health or good health is really the true meaning of Gesundheit. So that's what we do. We talk about that with the experts. We let them talk about uh, spiritual, mental, emotional, or physical health, be it Western, be it natural. We are explaining things on this program. Um, as always, you know, even though the experts are experts, we want to remind you that as we talk about these topics, we're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. Uh, we are here to um, we're here to explain. We are here to to tell you stories about things that truly happen, success stories, stories that maybe didn't go very well. But it is all about the education part, and we hope and we suggest that. After the program, you make sure you read more about the topic. Uh, go to a doctor or physician or expert health practitioner of your choice and become more educated about the topic so you can ask better questions when you walk in an office and talk to a doctor. It's good to have you with us. Uh, it's always nice to have the experts with us. And uh, today is no exception. It is a medical doctor, Dr. Edward Kandrot. He is a board-certified ophthalmologist and certified homeopathic doctor. Dr. Edward Kondrat received his medical degree from the Hahnemann Medical College in Philadelphia in 1977. He completed his training in ophthalmology at St. Francis Hospital in Pittsburgh and the Shy Eye Institute in Philadelphia in 1981. He maintains practices now in Sedona and in Phoenix. Dr. Kondrat has practiced homeopathy since 1990 and he received a diploma from the Hahnemann College of Homeop Homeopathy in Point Richmond, California in 1996. He contributed to the clinician's uh, rapid access guide to complementary and, uh, and alternative medicine, Mosby 2000, and has written numerous, ar numerous articles and conducted seminars for professional and lay audiences on the use of homeopathy, nutrition, microcurrent stimulation, and chelation therapy for diseases of the eye. He also is a color therapist, and we're going to talk about that as well. He is recognized as a pioneer in the use of homeopathy for eye conditions and is on the faculty of the Desert Institute of Homeopathy in Phoenix, Arizona, as well as the San Diego Center for Homeopathic Education and Healing. Now, Dr. Edward Kandrat has, uh, has written a few books. Uh, one is called Healing the Eye, the Natural Way, Alternative Medicine, and macular degeneration and the other one microcurrent stimulation miracle eye cure he has two offices one in phoenix and one in sedona and i would suggest that if you try to get a hold of dr kondrat after the program try to get a hold of his office write down this number it's 800-430-9328 800-430-9328 and there is a website you can go to as well it's healing the eye Dot com healing the eye.com dr kondrat it's great to have you with us i know it's very early where you are but we appreciate you spending your time with us uh, jacobus it's a real pleasure to be on your show i have a 
my cup of coffee in one hand. And That's good. Same here. To really enjoy myself. Yeah, and uh, for some people here that we drink coffee, they say, "Oh, we're going to turn this program off." But it's uh, it definitely helps, and it uh, sets the it sets the mood, it sets the tone, doesn't it? Oh, this is this is herbal coffee. Oh, yeah, herbal coffee. Oh, I exp- I expose myself now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always call it it's a healthy brown drink, not a green yeah, I drink. To, I have to set a good example for <laughs> sure. the, all the listeners. So there we go. Now uh, you have. Uh, uh, your name came to me through some people who live in Livingston and who have come to you. They found out about you. I actually still don't know how they found out about you, but they called you and um, they've been coming down to your clinics to work with you on macular degeneration. And I know that is one of the main topics we would like to discuss today, but on, on the same, on you know, we also want to talk about other different disorders. Tell me a little bit, uh, you've been in eye health for a long time. Uh, what drew you to the eyes? Well, when I was in medical school, I, I really became fascinated uh, with eye diseases. And um, at that time also, I found that I had some surgical skills. And that would be a specialty where I could not only utilize um, my surgical skills, but also internal medicine, psychiatry, uh, ophthalmology covered many, many different medical disciplines. Yeah. And of course, at that time, I was very idealistic. And I thought that allopathic or traditional medicine had all the answers for mm. eye disease. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until about 10 years into my career uh, that I began to investigate alternative therapies. Huh. And uh, I've always been interested in alternative therapies and just very mildly incorporated them into my practice. But once I discovered homeopathy, um, it really changed the way that I um, you know, evaluated and, and treated patients. It was like the light bulb went on, and I began to realize the true nature of disease and how I could really truly help people uh, instead of, using many suppressive methods and yeah. surgical methods that really didn't treat the underlying cause of the disease, but just took care of the superficial aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, my knowledge of homeopathy and the work that I've done with homeopathy, it's uh, absolutely astounding how uh, successful it is, how detailed it is. It, is. it definitely takes training to really work with homeopathy the way you do. And um, but my goodness, uh, people will either have results or not, but they will never have a negative side effect, which yeah, well, is just big, fascinating. The big problem with homeopathy is defining it. <clears throat> I know that uh, ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, I was able to define it. But the more you study it, the less you're able to explain it. Oh, I see. <laughs> so yes. Uh, don't ask me to talk. Explain homeopathy. You're right. I may have a difficult time. Well, going through the articles on your website, uh, it, the, the homeopathy comes up several times, and maybe uh, to make a, to, to give a, a slight or to give a simple explanation to our listeners, because I know that often uh, I work at a health food store, and often people come in and said, "Yeah, I've used homeopathy." And I said, no, it's homeopathy. And, and they think that homeopathy and naturopathy is the same thing. Could you explain the difference, please? Well, sometimes it's easier to explain homeopathy as to what it is not. Um, you know, homeopathy is not herbal medicine. It's not diet. It's nutrition. It's, it's not nutrition. It is a very complex system of 
of, of health uh, using um, specific scientific laws. Yeah. And, um, you know, Samuel Hahnemann, uh, when he discovered homeopathy, was practicing medicine at a time when they were using very caustic agents, uh, mercury, mercury salts, bloodletting. And uh, he he could see the damage that these uh, medicines were doing in patients, much like we observe now in our society with many caustic and harmful medicines. Yeah. So Hahnemann, um, who was brilliant, he was fluent in six languages, essentially abandoned his medical practice and became a medical translator. That just blows my mind. I mean, you think 200 years ago that people just did that. Just dump, jumping in the deep water and just uh, feel so convinced that what they got something new coming down the pike that uh, they just change directions. So what Hahnemann did, he became a translator and he was translating um, Cullen's text of Materia Medica and he was doing some research on the uh, Sincona Park. And they stated that the Sincona Park was used to treat malaria because of its astringent qualities. And he was kind of perplexed because he thought, why Sincona? There are many substances that have astringent qualities. Yeah. So he began to take some of the Sincona bark um, just to observe its, its effect on himself. And he developed symptoms of malaria. He developed uh-huh. a high fever and then chills. Yeah. And he then realized the connection with the law of similars. And the law of similars was something that was taught by Paracelsus and Hippocrates, mm-hmm. that like cures like. So that's the big difference between homeopathy and allopathic medicine. Homeopathy uses a substance um, which produces symptoms similar to the disease. So, for example, if you would have uh, diarrhea, the allopathic doctor would give you a medicine that would produce constipation. He's treating with opposites. The homeopathic doctor would give you a substance which actually produced diarrhea. Now, you may be thinking, boy, that's crazy. If I have diarrhea, I don't want to take something that's going to make it worse. Or, yeah. But in actuality, the homeopathic doctor believes that the body has intelligence, intelligence that we're not capable of understanding. Our diseases are a language. All we can do is observe these diseases. We can have various theories as to why these symptoms occur. But as human beings, our mind is limited. We can only make an observation. And the belief is that the body wants to express itself. So by assisting the body to express itself, by giving it a substance, which helps in the expression, Yeah. then the body is able to cure itself. It no longer needs that manifestation. If you um, think about it in a way that when the body expresses a symptom, that the symptom is indeed just a symptom of an underlying cause and that the body is using that specific disorder as an outlet then most doctors will say, how can I stop the outlet? How can I turn the faucet off? But homeopathy looks at this 
symptom indicates where we're lacking something? Is that fair to say? I think that's uh, a good observation because when we look at the various symptoms the body produces, we collect all that data to then try to match those symptoms with a specific homeopathic remedy. Right. And that's one of the beauties that I see in homeopathy because as an eye doctor, I just cannot look at a symptom of blurred vision uh, or a cataract yes. or macular degeneration. I really have to look at the mental, emotional state of the person and other physical symptoms that are going on at that time. And then by looking at all of that data, then I'm able to select a homeopathic remedy that could make uh, a marvelous transformation yes. in a person. Like, for example, um, about five or six years ago, I, I saw uh, an Indian doctor who was visiting uh, Pittsburgh. He was lecturing, and he developed a central retinal artery occlusion. Uh -huh. And this is a stroke of the eye. And he completely lost all his vision. He saw... Um, a, a retinal specialist in Pittsburgh, and they made the diagnosis, and they told him that nothing could be done. Wow. And they wanted to put him on uh, Coumadin or blood thinner to prevent uh, the event from happening to the other eye. And since he was from India, he was familiar with homeopathy. Yes. And even though uh, in my training in ophthalmology, um, you know, we were taught that once a central retinal artery develops or a stroke of the eye of this nature, then unless you aggressively treat it in the first five minutes, there is no hope for any visual recovery. Ah. So I saw him five days after this event, and he was totally blind in that eye. Maybe he could barely see some light. Wow. And at that time, that was early on in my homeopathic studies, and I wasn't really sure if homeopathy could help him, but I didn't want to give him any false hope. And at the same time, I didn't want to take hope away. And I think that's very important for a doctor always to give a patient hope. Yes. Because miracles can happen. Yes. And when you start to see miracles, you realize how limited we are in our training. Yeah. So part of me, my allopathic, you know, board-certified ophthalmologist was thinking, uh, what am I doing with homeopathy? This is a central retinal artery occlusion. Um, you know, this nothing can help him. Then the other part of me, the homeopathic mind, was thinking, well, how would Samuel Hahnemann approach his pray, pay, uh, patient? Right. Simply don't treat the specific disease, but treat him. Right. So he was a very high-strung individual, very loquacious and talkative. And one of the interesting things that came up in our discussion was that he was very argumentative. He loved to argue. Mm. And he was very proud that he has never lost an argument. Uh-huh. He could argue with the best of them. Yeah, yeah. Even you, Jacobus. He could argue with you and <laughs> I, do I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I took that information, plus the fact that during, um, prior to the uh, stroke, he became very upset um, with his wife. There was a lot of anger. So looking at these strong mental and emotional components, uh, along with the physical findings, 
I, I prescribed a homeopathic remedy for him and uh, told him to take it every day and to give me a call in two to three days uh, just to evaluate and you know the response. So he left for New Orleans. Uh, that's where he lives. And I didn't hear from him in a week. So I called him at the end of the week and asked him if he had observed any changes. And he said to me, oh, Dr. Kondrat, your medicine was absolutely wonderful. Huh. Uh, the second day I, I took the medicine, my vision came back, and now it's just perfect. And wow. when I saw the retinal doctor, he said to me, you probably never had a central retinal artery occlusion. It was probably something else. Wow. So, you know, a miracle like that convinced me that homeopathy can have um, extraordinary um, power in, in treating disease, especially diseases that are termed incurable or, or hopeless. Yes. Wow, interesting. So do you remember which one you gave him? Well, that that's interesting because uh, the remedy I gave him was Bothrops. Bothrops. And that's a snake remedy. Aha. Uh -huh. But if you would give that remedy to maybe six other people with the central retinal artery occlusion, chances are it's not going to work. I see. Because the important fact to take away from this is you treat the person, not the disease. Yes. So often people will ask me, what should I take for macular degeneration? Well, I don't know, because if I examine 100 patients, each one will get a different homeopathic remedy. Right. So you were treating the person, uh, not the disease. Now, for some people who are listening uh, today uh, to you, Dr. Kondrat, uh, they understand the difference between X's and C's in homeopathic dilution or even in M's. Um, my understanding is that when you deal more with the deeper underlying cause of a problem, uh, usually more emotional, you're looking more into a dilution that is in the C range. Uh, so we, did you give him something in the C range? Well, I think that if you find the right homeopathic remedy, uh, the dilution really doesn't matter. Okay, interesting. It's kind of interesting, the, the history of dilution. <laughs> yeah. Um, initially, when Samuel Hahnemann set up the system of homeopathy, he did actual provings on himself. Uh-huh. And um, these provings can be a very valuable educational experience. I've been involved in several provings myself, and this is the way that we have uh, arrived at the constellation of symptoms each homeopathic remedy produces. Yeah. Let's say, for example, you and I were going to do a proving. We were involved in a proving group. We would meet. Maybe there would be 20 of us. We would be giving some white little pellets in an envelope. And then we would take these pellets um, every day for a few days, and then we would reconvene and talk about symptoms. And let's say that you noticed some dryness of your throat and I had a cough. You know, we'd collect all these symptoms. If everybody, all 20 people, had the same symptom, then that would become a very strong component to that homeopathic remedy. Right. Maybe if only one person had a symptom, that would become a weak component. So all these are collected and, and written in a book called the Materia Medica. Yeah. So all the homeopathic remedies have been f studied in a scientific manner like this. Yeah. Then um, 
a doctor who would observe a patient with maybe dryness in the throat and a certain cough would go into the materia medica and look up those symptoms and say, aha, this is a remedy that was studied and had those two symptoms. And he would prescribe that. And that's based on the law of um, like, you know, treating like. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of dilutions, Samuel Hahnemann, when he did his provings, he observed side effects. You know, Dr. Condor, what we're going to do is I want to hear everything to know about uh, dilutions and Dr. Hahnemann. But we're hitting over here a short news break. So please stay tuned and let's continue our conversation when we come back after the break here. Please stay tuned. We will be right back. Now, Dr. Kondrat was talking about dilutions and how Dr. Hahnemann, as well as Dr. Kondrat, were using certain remedies on themselves to see what effect it would have. Is that correct? Well, what Hahnemann observed was um, when he was using these the, the, the law of similars, he noted that if you would give a medication, a homeopathic uh, medication or remedy, in the material dose, side effects uh, were produced, uh-huh. unwanted side effects. And he thought that perhaps by diluting, his question was, how far could I dilute a substance? And would it still have some type of action on the body? So that's when he began experimenting with diluting substances. Yes. A hundredfold, a thousandfold, um, you know, to such a such an extreme that there was like one molecule in the Pacific Ocean. That's how dilute it was. And much to his surprise, these remedies still had a physiological effect. Yeah. But the side effects were reduced. So this is one of the big differences between herbal medicine and homeopathy. For example, echinacea is a common herbal remedy. It's taken as tincture or capsule form to strengthen the immune system or treat colds and flus. Uh And typically, if you would take echinacea in the herbal form, you're taking the physical substance. It's the the flowers of the plant, uh, you know, in a capsule form, or it's a mother tincture in which the plant was soaked in alcohol or some solution to withdraw the healing substances. Right. Now, in homeopathy, we take a mother tincture and we dilute it tenfold. That becomes a 1x, x indicating 10. Yes. Then if you would dilute that that tenfold dilution again by 10, that would become a 2x. So we have successive dilutions. Yes. Each one becoming um, a weaker solution. But in homeopathy, it actually becomes a stronger solution. Mm-hmm. You may ask, how can that be? How can diluting a substance make it stronger? Well, if we think of disease and the cause of disease, disease does not come from the physical body. It comes more from the mental and emotional. So once we dilute a physical substance beyond any physical presence, it becomes uh, a, a, an energy or a vibration that treats the emotional, um, mental levels of the body, which are the actual cause of disease. Yes. And that is probably the hardest concept for people to grasp. And that's one of the reasons that most traditional doctors kind of scoff at homeopathy. How can this be? Yes. But now that we're studying quantum physics 
and vibrations and energy, we're beginning to understand that there is a lot of truth to this. Yes. I have told people about, uh, uh, they say, well, how does this work? Why do these energy waves work? And I said, if you take a balloon and you rub it on a carpet, you can actually stick it against the wall. Nothing changed to the wall, the carpet, or the balloon, except that you created friction between two of the substances, and therefore you created the magnetic power. And I said, that is that a little electrical charge that you feel when you touch the balloon. And, and so they can see that point to something that is very physical to them. And I said, when you do the same with a mother tincture and you shake it, you are rubbing molecules of alcohol or glycerin or water with the actual uh, mother tincture, the, 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 the raw material, and therefore you also create friction in a bottle. And I said, that is, uh, that is how homeopathy strengthens or becomes more effective. Uh, is that something, is a fair explanation? Yeah, I think that's an excellent explanation because what you're doing is that specific vibration of the homeopathic material, uh, that frequency is then kind of impregnated or it begins to resonate uh, with a uh, water molecule. And yes. The water molecules, I guess, are very adaptable. They're like chameleons. Mm-hmm. When we put a specific vibration into water, that water then can take on that vibration and become the uh, essential essence of that homeopathic remedy. Right. Another good analogy is a tuning fork. Oh, yes. Let's say that you would come to um, my practice and you have various symptoms. You have a headache, uh, you have back pain, and you have blurred vision. Um, in homeopathy, it's kind of like your body is misvibrating. Something, the frequency or har- harmony of your body is not right. Mm-hmm. So when we select a proper homeopathic remedy that will cover all of your symptoms, like there are many homeopathic remedies for headaches, but maybe we, we cut them down, maybe there's only a dozen or so that have headaches and back pain. You know, we limit them based on collecting your symptoms because we're we're getting the vibrations that are going to vibrate and have the resonant frequency with you to support you and kind of like put you back in, in tune. Yes. And when that happens, people will notice a profound effect in terms of not only treating their physical symptoms, but their mental and emotional state will help. Yeah. But sometimes the change is so profound... They're not even aware of it. I have a humorous story. I was treating um, a gentleman with glaucoma, and he was very, very meticulous. He would come in, he had a pocket protector, and he would be graphing all of his um, remedies or his uh, pressures every visit. Yeah. And um, I would, uh, he had a lot of questions, and, you know, he came in with a, a thin, narrow tie, always, you know, very, very businesslike. And I asked him, because he wasn't doing well with his glaucoma treatment, and I asked him if he'd be interested in homeopathy. From the intellectual point of view, he was very curious, so I took his homeopathic case, and I prescribed a remedy for him. And um, in three months, he came back, but he was completely changed. (laughs) Um, He no longer had his 
you know, white shirt and thin tie and pocket protector. He came in with a sweater and a leather jacket, his hair changed, and, you know, it was like a profound physical change, and not only uh, his physical appearance, but as now his pressures were under much better control. Yeah. And and his nature changed. Of course, when I talked to him, the first thing I said to him, um, have you noticed any changes? since you took the homeopathic remedy. And he says, oh, no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Everything's the same, doctor. Yes. And I says, well, I see you have a different outfit on. I never saw you without your pocket protector and your thin, you know, dark tie. And he said, well, I just decided I, you know, wanted to change my outlook and, you know, wardrobe. So a lot of times some of these changes can be so profound, the patient's not aware of them because we walk around in life and we view the world with a certain viewpoint. Yes. And we feel that that's part of ourselves. And when that changes, uh, unless other people bring it to our attention, we not, may not be aware of it. Right. And that's one of the things that then when you sit down with that person and go over their symptoms and their mannerisms and they say, you know what, you're right, there's been a big change then they understand the power of homeopathy. Yes. And so he was doing better also with his glaucoma? He was doing much better with his glaucoma. Yeah. The, the, the most interesting thing about homeopathy, you know, we talk about Osamu Hahnemann developing this system 200 years ago. Yeah. Well, nothing has changed over the last 200 years. When I studied homeopathy, I used the same textbooks that were used 200 years ago. And... In modern medicine, I know when I was a senior in medical school, many of the material that I learned my freshman year was already outdated my senior year. And we know, um, you know, in terms of drugs and medications, every year there's a new drug, every year there's a, a new approach, but people are getting sicker and sicker. Yes, you're right. I mean, the, the medical literature, indeed, as you say, uh, there are so many magazines people can can get these days, uh, not just on a professional level, but even uh, for the lay person, uh, the amount of magazines about health and, and trying to give people hope with something new that came out. Um, it's it's astounding, and I think it is good that the research is 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 still continuing, and that new products come up. But at the same time, you have to look at it and say it's all business. Uh, there is just another way to uh, to get money from people for something new that got invented. And as you say, the, the homeopathics have been around for two hundred years, and they haven't really changed. They have it's actually true, proved it's a true a true law of healing, and a true yes. law of healing will not change with time like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is the same. We don't have different ideas about it uh, every year. Yeah. Um, and the other nice thing about homeopathy, homeopathy was meant to be a medicine of the people. Mm. That individual um, persons can study homeopathy and have their homeopath homeopathic first aid kit at home. Yeah. Because if you take the wrong homeopathic remedy... It, in most cases, it's not going to produce any harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many um, housewives and families have their homeopathic first aid kit. Instead of running to the doctor, you know, you begin by taking a homeopathic remedy. You look at the symptoms, and uh, it works in a wonderful way for childhood diseases and, and for first aid. Most people are introduced to homeopathy through the homeopathic remedy arnica, of course, which is yeah. good for treating bruises and strains. And traumas. 
traumas. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage um, individuals that want to get started with homeopathy is to join a homeopathic study group. There's an organization called the National Center for Homeopathy, Uh and they can um, uh, put you in contact with study groups in every state of the United States. Wow. And, you know, you can talk to individuals who are using homeopathy and, uh, you know, begin by getting your homeopathic first aid kit. And I think homeopathy is going to become more valuable now that we have the threat of many epidemic diseases. Absolutely. Great point. You know, the SARS virus, uh, uh, the bird flu, all of these things. You know, homeopathy historically has had the answer for these epidemics. Yes. Like, for example, the cholera epidemic in the 1800s. Uh, Allopathic medicine, I believe there was something like an 80% mortality with allopathic treatment or traditional treatment. And homeopathy had a very small mortality. It was 10 Mm. to 20%. People using homeopathic medicine. The same with the Spanish influenza. Yes. Uh, because in homeopathy, we looked at the symptoms. You know, a particular viral strain will produce a unique constellation of symptoms. Yes. And then we find the homeopathic remedy. It's called the uh, genus epidemicus. Mm-hmm. Um, the homeopathic remedy that matches those symptoms, and that can be used not only to treat the active viral infection, but it can also be used to treat as a prophylactic measure, kind of like a homeopathic vaccination Mm -hmm. to prevent the symptoms. Dr. Kondra, do you see with all your seminars that you give both to lay people and professionals that is in the professional realms indeed a change, or is it still very difficult to untrain certain doctors and retrain them in a more complementary approach? Well, I think more and more physicians are becoming open, you know, to alternative therapies. Um, and I think you made a comment earlier in the show. You know, um, it's not that I'm totally against allopathic medicine of or traditional not. medicine. No. Uh-huh. You know, there are many wonderful doctors, uh, traditional doctors, who do a lot of good. Yeah. But I think as a consumer, um, you know, we should be educated. Uh, both in the allopathic sphere and um, the alternative. So when we do have a problem, uh, we should carefully consult and uh, find out the side effects and what are our treatment options. Yes. You know, most of my practice deals with chronic eye disease. Uh, Patients have been told by their eye doctor nothing can be done. And um, a lot of times... um, when a patient is, is told that, that can begin a downward spiral. They, you know, when you lose hope, you know, the body, uh, because of these different emotional factors that develop, such as depression, um, you know, grief and anger, yeah. that can contribute to the eye disease. Yes. Um, and um, that always upsets me. Of course, at one time in my practice, I I would say those same things because I didn't understand the value of homeopathic and other alternative treatments in chronic eye disease. Mm. So now my approach has been, yes, you have uh, macular degeneration, you know, you have glaucoma or cataracts. You know, these are the traditional options. 
there may be some problems with the laser surgery because it causes destruction of tissue. Yeah. Why don't we consider um, a more pragmatic approach in which we can, you know, change your diet, your health, try to strengthen your body, and try to treat the disease from the underlying cause. Yes. You know, whether it's a, a mental, emotional uh, reason, uh, whether it could be a dietary deficiency, let's look at that. Because we can always go back to um, an al- the allopathic approach. Like, Absolutely. for example, if you have early cataracts, um, there may not be uh, a real indication for surgery. Maybe by taking some homeopathic medicines, uh, vitamins, you could slow the progression and you may not need cataract surgery. Right. And, and I, I think uh, in, in some of the articles I was reading about what, what you said about cataracts, for example, is that surgery sometimes is a good thing to do uh, for cataracts because it is so successful lately. But still, you want to find out what the possible causes and, and help with uh, certain homeopathic or natural methods to resolve the cause and so that it, it won't come back. Well, there's uh, another, this would be probably be a good time to talk about uh, Herring's Law. This is another homeopathic law. Yes. Which deals with how disease moves in the body. And typically, disease tends to begin superficially. Mm-hmm. And then we have, a, uh, um, our nature is to suppress the disease, use steroids or things to push the disease deeper into the body. Like, for example, eczema. Often childhood eczema is treated with steroids, and then the child will later on develop asthma. Yes. And the pediatrician will say, well, it's just an allergic child. The asthma would have developed anyway. Uh huh. But then when that child is treated homeopathically for asthma, the asthma gets better, but the eczema comes back. Correct. Because the body heals from inside outward. So yes. we were talking about a cataract. Well, cataract is a superficial, uh, like a skin lesion. It's on the outer part of the eye. So for some reason, the body uh, does not want to see something, so it's developing this superficial state. By removing the cataract surgically, we are actually pushing the disease in deeper. So when an individual develops macular degeneration or glaucoma after cataract surgery, that's not a side effect of the surgical procedure. It's actually the disease being pushed inward. And even in the traditional ophthalmology literature, there's some articles that are being published which indicate that there's a higher incidence of macular degeneration after cataract surgery. Oh, wow. And that individuals that have macular degeneration may get a worsening after cataract surgery. Oh, wow. Now, I'm not saying that no one should have cataract surgery. You know, if the cataract is extremely advanced mm-hmm. and you're limited, then it is probably necessary to have cataract surgery. But that individual should then begin alternative treatment and homeopathy to tr- try to address the underlying problem. So these deeper um, pathological states uh, do not develop. Uh-huh. You know, I think that many people look at the eye as such a small organ 
but it is so complex. I mean, you wouldn't be a specialist in the eye if it wasn't complex, but there is a lot of things that the eye actually holds that show underlying problems inside the body. Is that correct? Yeah, the eye, you know, the saying the eye is the window of the soul. Um, that's really true because when an eye doctor looks inside the eye, he can observe uh, the endocrine health, the vascular health of the body, um, and there's many aspects that um, we can know about the patient yeah. simply by looking in the eye. Yeah. And of course, there's a whole discipline called iridology, yes. which uh, looks uh, kind of like the iris in terms of making a diagnosis and understanding the patient. All right. Well, what we're going to do is we'll want to, I would like to talk more about that because that's a fascinating topic that quite a few people are interested in, I know. We'll be right back. Gesundheit with Jacobus. It's all about living healthy. Caller, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Your name and how can we help you? This is the poor guy. Hey, the poor guy. Good yeah, morning, Daniel. Guy. Kind of a subtle dig at you guys because I was out ripping carpets by hand and I was just reading the average wage for places like Phoenix and East Coast for what I was doing would be well over $20 an hour. Uh, that's Montana is one of the poorest areas. So here's the question then. If I'm living on the cheap, as we say, now my eyesight is about the same as when they caught it in fourth grade. For some reason, it's stabilized. I don't... Thank God, but what miracles, as they say in the Bible, uh, freely given, freely received, what kind of miracles could I do short of fancy things like homeopathy and whatever else you're doing to get my eyes back on track? They're in pretty good shape, but I certainly have been wearing glasses for a number of years. Well, you know, um, homeopathy isn't fancy or it's not expensive. Homeopathy is probably one of the least expensive methods to keep your body healthy. You know, if you go to the drugstore and you want to buy an antibiotic um, eye drop, you're going to be paying 80 to to $100 for a bottle. And in homeopathy, you know, a couple dollars will give you a, a homeopathic bottle of a remedy, which essentially will last a lifetime. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the real question is, that, you know, if you're looking at improving your eyesight, I mean, the best way that you can take care of your health is just to empower yourself. The fact that you're listening to this radio show, you know, you, you have to search for answers. We all have different problems, and most of the times the answers to our health problems are, are right in front of us. Yeah. You know, you don't have to travel to Phoenix and spend a lot of money to help improve your eyesight. You know, the first question I would ask is, you know, what is wrong with your eyesight? What is your main symptom? What is your main complaint? I had 2100 or whatever it is, 120. 2100 vision in fourth grade and i probably got 2110 now it's stabilized but I, i'm yeah but see, you're, you're telling me that really isn't a symptom you're giving me two numbers yeah and that number means nothing to me by symptoms you know what is what is what is bothering you what is your complaint see i'm well, not going to be treating a number yeah, i'm going to be uh, treating you yeah well, of course average would be 2020 vision but i I wouldn't say I complain about it, but it's a little inconvenient. If I lose my glasses, I'm not going to be able to drive to work. Is there any way I can get so I can drive without glasses? Let's say that. Well, I do believe it's possible to eliminate, you know, a spectacle correction, but that takes a lot of work. 
There are many eye exercises. There was a turn-of-the-century ophthalmologist by the name of William Bates who right. felt that all eye disease was due to strain in the eye. Mm-hmm. And by addressing this strain, we could reduce our spectacle correction. It has mm. to do with tension in the eye. And I always thought that that was kind of far-fetched, that stress could actually cause myopia or, you know, nearsightedness or the need for reading glasses. Then I read a book by Algis Huxley, the famous science fiction writer and philosopher. And the book is called uh, The Art of Seeing. Mm. And Huxley had horrible eyesight. And he went to clinics all over the United States trying to find a solution to his eye problems, but no one could help him. And what he did on his own, he began to utilize uh, Dr. Bates's exercises, and he essentially improved his eyesight dramatically. In mm-hmm. fact, at one point in his life, Huxley had to read uh, using Braille. Wow. That's how bad his eyesight was. Huh. And just by simply doing these eye exercises and changing his perception, he dramatically improved his vision. You know, for example... You know, the eye kind of mirrors our life. When you say, well, my vision has given me a little problem, it's not the eye that's giving you a little problem. It's, it's your life that's giving you a little problem. Huh, interesting. You know, the first thing when you called up, you were complaining about wages in Bozeman and they're making more money in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a state that you're in that is going to be manifested in your vision. And well, I, I don't know how I was thinking about that in fourth grade, because that's when it suddenly appeared. That's what yeah, about so, yeah, past life. As a homeopathic doctor, I would look at what happened in fourth grade. What was your you family know? relations and et cetera, right? Yeah, maybe a trauma. Because a lot of times we'll have uh, events that occur in childhood, and those events will keep on repeating throughout our whole life. It's like a misvibration that occurs. And once we kind of undo that, that misvibration... Uh, or that uh, that conflict, or maybe a, an ill-conceived idea about ourselves. You know, once we treat that, you know, then the light bulb may come on and go, ah, I don't have to be that way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the best way to treat any eye problem is to look at what's going on inside of you. Well, Daniel, I know that we know each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting comment, I think, from Dr. Conrad. And I think that goes to all the listeners. Yeah, and it's more psychological than mechanical. Uh, but that is what Dr. Conrad said in the first hour. Many of the physical diseases have an emotional, spiritual cause. Yeah, because I, I don't know anything about you, sir, but your nickname is Poor Man? No, he, he, he okay. has a different name anytime he calls in. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. if, if your nickname is Poor Man, it's going to be that poor is going to, you're going to have poor vision. You're oh. going to have poor everything. Oh. Because you're putting that energy out there. Well, yeah, except I'm probably one of the strongest men that you're going to come across. I'm sure I'm stronger than most every teenager in this country. So it hasn't really made a limping wimp. So the interesting thing is you have the strength to overcome it, which is uh, going to be very helpful for you to improve your eyesight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I'll all right. Go there and beat the world into submission. No, I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> coach the world into submission. Well, thanks for the call, Daniel. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right.
that was a that was a great answer very spontaneous something uh, i don't think uh, i expected to hear but it is uh, it's right on the money i think it's uh, it's a great statement that you made dr Conrad. So i appreciate yeah, sometimes that sometimes when you're a homeopathic doctor you're more like a psychiatrist <laughs> yeah that's right because the more you study disease the more you understand that uh, most disease is 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 based on you know, mental and emotional uh, yes. realms of our existence yes you know, we tend to look at the physical, and we want an answer. I have a headache. What, what homeopathic remedy can I take for the headache? Well, if you have grief or you have anger, those emotions have to be treated first. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen? We'll treat the headache, but that grief or anger will develop into something more serious. Yeah. Maybe a heart attack, maybe a stroke, maybe cancer. Yes. Because the body needs to express itself. That's right. I uh, I remember a story from a lady who came talk to me. She had a cough for three months, and she couldn't shake the cough. And she had been to doctors, and nothing what they gave him helped her. And so I asked her if she was grieving, and she she started crying. And she mentioned that three and a half months earlier, her mother, who lives in another state, had been diagnosed with cancer, and she felt she had to go be with her mother. But because um, she was married and had children, she knew that money-wise she would have to go alone and therefore had to leave her family alone, which caused a lot of stress because her children are young. And she also had a business that she said she couldn't continue because she didn't know how long she would have to spend with her mother. So she was also trying to sell the business. And uh, that in a very short period of time, obviously, and her plans of going to her mom and working out relationship issues, whatever it was, uh, caused a lot of stress and that expressed itself through her lungs and so I worked with her in uh, dealing with the emotional part of it and the trauma and the grief and um, and uh, she started doing better within days yeah and I think in, in ophthalmology uh, grief is often an important component of um, um, visual loss in particular macular degeneration uh-huh uh, you know, often I'll see a patient who recently lost their husband or wife, and there was a lot of grieving, and then the macular degeneration uh, was developed. Yes. Uh, or maybe anger. You know, grief and anger are often closely linked. You know, why did God take my wife from me? Yeah. And that anger is there. And in Chinese medicine, the liver and the eye are closely related, and the liver... That meridian is um, is the emotion is anger in the liver. Yeah, yeah. It's often said in Chinese medicine that the eye is the flower of the liver. Mm. So the anger resides in the liver, and it's manifested in the eye as a, as an eye problem. Yeah. So that's one of the things I'm interested in is these energetic meridians that affect the eye. Another meridian is the kidney meridian, which is fear. Yeah. So often visual loss is associated with a lot of fear. And then there's a, a vicious cycle because, you know, the fear causes more visual loss. And then when they're losing vision, that causes more fear. And it's like a downward spiral. And you have to break it somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to break it. And that's where homeopathy can be very, very helpful. Now, another thing that you do, Dr. Conrad, in your practice is working with microcurrent stimulation. Uh, what is microcurrent stimulation? Well, microcurrent stimulation is using a very weak current 
to stimulate different parts of the body. And I've been involved with microcurrent stimulation for the last 10 years. I became interested in this when I read an article 10 years ago about Sam Snead, the great golfer, yeah. having a benefit for microcurrent stimulation. And at that time, I investigated it, and I was quite impressed in how it could help people you know, with failing vision. And basically, microcurrent works uh, by three mechanisms. Uh, it improves blood flow. It stimulates cellular activity, and it can remove scar tissue. Uh-huh. And most of the work with microcurrent stimulation has been um, in athletes, in wound healing, uh, after transplants, and uh, facial rejuvenation. So early on, I used um, four frequencies, and a frequency is a, is a vibration of the current. Yeah. And uh, these frequencies somehow match tissue or pathology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the skin has a certain frequency or resonance. Yes. Uh, and that's different than the bone or the liver or the eye. And people ask me, well, why do they have a specific resonance or frequency? Well, it has to do with the molecular structure. It has to do with hydration, you know, many factors. Yes. But, you know, scientists will agree that specific tissues do resonate differently. Now, if we're able to send in a frequency or a vibration that harmonizes with that tissue, then we increase the vitality of the tissue. Oh, yeah, of course. So, for example, if the retina has a frequency of 95 hertz, Mm -hmm. if we send in 95 hertz and it harmonizes with the retina, it'll increase the vitality. Now, pathology, every pathology has a certain frequency. So hemorrhage, scar tissue have their unique unique frequency. Now, we don't want to harmonize with those um, frequencies because we want to eliminate them or reduce them. Right. So we send a disharmonious frequency, a frequency that kind of negates or devitalizes that energy. So you, you, you would put in a frequency that is... The same frequency frequency if it were a healthy organ. So if you say the healthy organ has this vibration, but because of the disorder, the vibration is off, the frequency is off, you'll stimulate it again by harmonize, you harmonize it by giving it the same vibration of the healthy organ. Right. We want to harmonize the healthy organ, but we want to deharmonize the pathology. Right. So, for example, if you have a macular hemorrhage. Yes. I would send in a frequency to harmonize the retina or increase the vitality of the retina. But for the hemorrhage, I'm going to send in a frequency to deharmonize it to reduce its energy. Okay. So now um, we're using these frequencies, I guess, in a more scientific manner. And there was an interesting study done where they studied the effect of microcurrent on the swelling of a rabbit's ear. And they applied arachidonic acid, which is a very caustic acid, to the rabbit's ear. Right. And they measured the amount of swelling that took place. First, what they did is they administered a frequency that uh, was just 200 microamps, which is a very weak current. 
and I think the frequency was just some random frequency, and there was no effect in the swelling, changes in the swelling. Then they administered a frequency of 40, which is for inflammation, and a frequency of 355, which is for the skin. And they observed a dramatic decrease in swelling, 70%. Then, as a control, they administered the 40 microamps, and then they sent a frequency in for bone, so to reduce the swelling of the bone. Of course, in the earlobe, there's no bone. It's mainly skin. Mm-hmm. And there was no change in the swelling. So this indicated that the frequency specific, you know, has an effect if the frequency is matched. But it, if, if it is not, it has no effect, much like homeopathy. If you take a remedy that is not even close to your symptom manifestation, it's not going to have any effect. But if you have it close to your symptoms, then it's going to have a more more profound effect. Yeah, yeah. Huh. There was another interesting study done by Dr. Chen, a Korean, and what he did, he measured the effect of microcurrent uh, on the skin of a rat. He uh, ran the current with different frequencies, and then he studied the cellular activity. Mm-hmm. And he measured that with microcurrent, there was a dramatic increase in cellular activity. Now, I'm not talking about like 10, 20% increase. He measured a 500% increase. Wow. Can I you like believe that? 500%. That is, that is amazing. And, and I want to hear more about Dr. Chen because his research is, is very integral here. Stay tuned. We have a caller on hold who like to talk to Dr. Edward Kandwa, who is my guest on the program today. Caller, your name, please. How can we help you? Yeah, Jacobus and Dr. Kandra. Uh, this is Steve. Hi, boy, Steve. Boy, you're really putting out some good information. It is proof that we're just spiritual beings having a human experience. Yes. And then when we get dis-ease, it shows up as disease. And uh, what he was talking about there with the microcurrent, it sounds like the Rife machine. Is that what you're talking about? Well... Uh, it's based on uh, the, the the principles behind the Rife machine. The Rife machine, the frequencies um, were uh, much higher than the frequencies that I'm using. Uh, but it's based on the radionics, uh, the Rife principle, where you're trying to um, locate or tune in a frequency that matches the particular problem of the individual. Yes. Much like with homeopathy. I see. Well, here's a, a, uh, something. My wife's granddaughter was born with glaucoma. Born with it? And, yes. And so my question there is, is this something that would have shown up from a past life? Uh, well, that's a, a very good question. And whether you label it uh, past life or genetic inheritance, or Samuel Hahnemann used to talk about miasms. He classified disease in terms of three miasms, which were hereditary uh, disorders. So Uh I certainly think whether you call it a past life, um, you know, a genetic predisposition, or um, a miasm, Mm. you know, it doesn't matter how we label you know, the, the, the congenital glaucoma. 
you know, we're trying to understand how that disease was, was transferred to this, you know, innocent child um, in this genetic abnormality. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the seven mirrors that uh, Christ used to teach about was that the first one we choose is our parents. And and so if we have a, a thing from a past life that we need to deal with in another life, then say alcoholism as an example, then we're going to be born into an alcoholic family so that we can learn to deal with the alcohol problem. Um so would that show up also then um, in, in other areas like, uh, like we're talking about with the glaucoma? Yeah, well, you know, maybe uh, that individual soul chose this life to experience uh, blindness, to experience loss of vision, to, mm-hmm. you know, experience a world where the other senses had to be developed. Do you think, uh, Dr. Conrad and Steve also in this case, uh, that it would make a difference in how you approach the healing? If, if you were to know the answer in this case? Well, you know, first I think before you can um, make any treatment decision um, or, you know, determine what approach to use, you need a thorough evaluation. You not only need to evaluate the child, but you have to also evaluate the parents. Right. And understand the whole family dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, congenital glaucoma in itself does not mean um, that there's going to be a limitation. You know, Samuel Hahnemann always talked about our limitations to our, our freedom. And, you know, for example... Um, You know, some individuals may be crippled, Uh, they may have handicaps, but they have no limitation in their health. They're able to be very productive members of our society, they're able to contribute, and um, they live their life uh, very fully. Then you could have an individual that has a perfect physical body, a perfect mind, but he's an alcoholic, Mm. and he's destructive to himself and society. Yeah. So in homeopathy, we always look at what is, what needs to be cured. What is the driving energy behind the individual? Yep. The, what is the driving energy and what needs to be cured? Huh. Now, maybe that child with congenital glaucoma who has visual loss is perfectly happy with that state in life. Maybe they love uh, music, they're very creative, and... They really don't miss their vision. Interesting. But maybe the, the problem is with the parents. Maybe the parents have a lot of anxiety and guilt. In that situation, in using homeopathic principles, we would like to treat the parents so they can become um, you know, more supportive of the child. Hmm. Wow. So it's, it's a very complex, um, dynamic situation. And well, it just boils down to what I mentioned earlier. We really don't treat a disease. We treat the person. And in this situation, uh, we treat not only the person, but the person's environment, too, to try to help. Wow. I like that. What, what you're saying um, basically is that uh, 
again, um, that person may have chosen that uh, life for this life, but that we want them to be able to, to experience life as we do, and therefore we try to push our uh, our ideas on that soul uh, to experience life like we do instead of how they've chosen to. Well, I don't you know, know I if you per se push that. I think that you are what you are and who you are and how you are. And I think the uh, the child is uh, where they are at at that point. And I think the uh, the dynamic... The dynamics between different individuals and characteristics is creating a uh, a life for yourself. Because in this case, I think, uh, well, Dr. Conrad, I'm sorry, I, you started talking too. I don't want to interrupt you. But I th- was thinking about that. Obviously, this child has an effect on the way that you start living your life and your knowledge and expertise and feelings and an approach to life and health in general you are sharing with the child and so it, it, it creates a phenomenal dynamics well she has certainly been um, a shining light to a, a lot of a lot of people interesting and uh, just the way that she looks at life, mm. and and uh, so she's been um, very, uh, I guess, um, a spiritual uh, thing for a lot of people that are around this child. So <clears throat> anyway, I guess that answers my question. Wow! And. Um, Thanks a lot for the good show, Jacobus. Oh, thank you. Uh, Steve, this was a great question. I really appreciate it, and I love Dr. Condor's answer. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve, for, you, you for your call. Thank you. Okay, all the best. My goodness, Dr. Condor, I love your answers. This is, uh, this is uh, it, it just changes the whole attitude of the show. Thanks for doing so. Uh, caller, good morning. Your name, how can we help you, please? This is Vernon. Hi, Vernon. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, enjoyed your conversation this morning. Thank you. Uh, a comment, um, regardless of whether our worldview is uh, reincarnation or as a Christian original sin, we're still dealing with the uh, uh, things in this life that we can affect. Yes. And um, my question for the doctor uh, is, um, does homeopathy uh, address the diabetic and... Um, in my situation, um, three years ago, I had to have uh, uh, cataract surgery. I went blind in both eyes. Uh-huh. And uh, it's unknown to me or anybody that I ask in, that has treated me whether or not it was related to the diabetes or um, just something that happened for other reasons. So, um, Doc, what do you think? Well, uh, by blind, uh, are you able to see anything? Do you see I w- light? I see perfectly now because uh, the... The surgery was very effective, but um, I was able to get around, but I couldn't see details. I, I couldn't read, and um, by the time the sun got a little bit dim, I couldn't see more than, um, oh, a few hundred feet in front of the car, so I had to quit driving. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the, the cataract surgery was very successful then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, diabetes uh, is a complex disease. You know, not only um, does the insulin abnormality uh, affect the eye, but it affects the vascular system in all parts of the body, you know, the peripheral neuropathy, the kidneys, and the eye. Now, I've had some of those uh, consequences. So, you know, using the homeopathic approach, 
uh, we're not really treating the disease, we're, we're treating uh, you. And um, uh, often uh, an approach that we take in homeopathy is to evaluate how this disease is limiting you, um, how is it affecting you emotionally, how is it limiting you. Wow. And then based on your answer, then it could be any number of, of homeopathic remedies. Because, you know, it's the mental and emotional state that kind of is, is the engine that drives our, our physical body. So, you know, granted, and that's where allopathic medicine kind of loses touch. Granted, the insulin may be necessary, the diet, and all these physical things are required. But still, there's that baseline mental and emotional state. How, how successful is homeopathy in addressing diabetes? Well, it it's it, it depends on um, you know the the level of diabetes that you have, the extent of damage. But I do believe that you know homeopathy can improve the hormonal balance, can help uh, stabilize the insulin. Hmm. And can you know improve a lot of physical um, uh, manifestations of the diabetes, you know, such as the peripheral neuropathy, uh, the kidney problems, and um, so it can improve neuropathy and kidney problems. Hmm. It can, and I've had experience with you know the right homeopathic remedy improving uh, the symptoms of neuropathy. Hmm. But once again, in homeopathy, we just don't pinpoint you know, one symptom. We look at the whole constellation of symptoms. Yeah, the consequences that I'm dealing with most um, are the neuropathy and the um, when the blood sugar is very high, I become stupid, <laughs> huh. to put it bluntly. Um, you know, I, I just can't concentrate and I can't stay awake to read that kind of thing. The other area that we, we began to talk about is the, the microcurrent, the frequency-specific microcurrent. And that has been very valuable in my practice in helping to regulate uh, insulin diabetes and also to treat specific problems like peripheral neuropathy, uh, strengthening the kidneys and things like that because we now have frequencies uh, that are specific for the kidney, specific for the pancreas, and uh, for neurological problems, you know, such as the peripheral neuropathy. Huh. Are, are all um, homeopathic doctors um, tuned into the kind of uh, work that you do? Well, um, there are different types of homeopathic practitioners. <laughs> And I know that there's a lot of well-qualified homeopathic doctors in Montana, and I would investigate um, the doctors that have credentials uh, such as CHC. That means a certified, uh, or CCH rather, Certified Classical Homeopath. It's a very rigorous set of, uh, very rigorous standard and, uh, to, to get those credentials, CCH. And there's another group called a doctor of, of homeotherapeutics. And these are medical doctors that are highly trained in homeopathy. Mm. And you can probably find um, a listing of those individuals by searching online or calling the National Center of Homeopathy. Or asking Jacobus if he knows somebody. 
Well, I, uh, there are quite a few naturopathic doctors who like to use homeopathy. They, many of them make their own little remedies for a specific disorder. But we do have in town a certified trained classical homeopath. Her name is Dagmar Uhl, U-H-L, Dagmar, D-A-G-M-A-R. Uhl, U-H-L. She is from Germany. She was trained in classical homeopathy. She indeed does spend time with the individual uh, talking for an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, based on that, takes a lot of notes. And based on that, gives you three or four little pallets under the tongue. And uh, that might just take care of it. It's uh, it's very specific. She doesn't do anything else like Dr. Kondrat was mentioning earlier. It's uh, He's not using herbs. He's not using other things. He's working with the homeopathics. And um, I think her number is 586-8550. Thank you. I actually met her at uh, one of the events at the Emerson. Okay. So we're yes. a lot of the health, she health is, uh, professionals. Yeah, she is indeed a classically trained, certified homeopathic doctor. And that's key because, see, there's many homeopathic doctors that use homeopathy much like an allopathic doctor. Yes. So they don't look at the whole person. As it'll come in. Slam bam, you, thank you, ma'am. We'll give you one homeopathic remedy for your headache, one for your kidney, one for your diabetes and pretty soon you're taking 10 to 12 different homeopathic remedies but you're really not being treated Mm -hmm. much like the allopathic doctor who gives you various medicines but he's not treating you and i think the best chance of our bodies achieving health is is looking at the classical approach thank you doc i've really enjoyed you guys uh conversation today well that was a great question vernon thank you so much more later all right more later we'll be right back Uh, Chuck, you actually have a question. Uh, You were chomping at the bit here. Uh, What is your comment or question? Good morning, Doctor. Uh, Good morning, and thanks for your call. Well, I'm Jacobs' helper here. He is the, he's my engineer. And my question is, I have a friend who was involved in a uh, bird hunting accident. And it almost killed him, but he's blind now. And he's had three cornea transplants, and uh, they've all been rejected. Is there... Anything that you could suggest that might help the uh, poor guy? Yeah, well, see, that's interesting because all of his transplants have been rejected. And Mm. so that must mean there must be something deeper in his body that's going on that's rejecting the opportunity for him to regain his vision. Well, he really got messed up. Um, He almost died, and then he had a stroke on top of that during the accident. So... Yeah, they are. Um, he has to go to Pocatello, and the eye doctors are mystified. And I was just wondering if you had any comments or something that he might be able to try or do. Well, I think that would be, you know, a perfect opportunity for homeopathy to demonstrate uh, its effectiveness because there's something with his body that is causing it to behave in an unnatural manner because typically corneal transplants are very successful. Hmm. You know, only a small percentage of people will get a rejection, and certainly after the second transplant, the success rate even increases because of then the institution of specific medications. Correct. But once again, if that underlying cause is there and it's not addressed, you know, no matter how skilled the corneal surgeon and what powerful anti-rejection medications are used, the eye, you know, will not heal. Now, what might be some underlying causes? Well, 
that's difficult to answer without yeah. talking to him. Correct. Um, you know, it may go back to a misbelief that he has. It may go back to a trauma. Um, Lifestyle? It, as a child or, you know, nothing happens by chance. You know, everything is related to this uh, this hunting accident. Correct. Mm. But accidents, uh, there's no such thing as an accident. Everything that occurs in our life has a purpose. Yeah. That's my belief. Yeah. What, fate? So the hunting accident is kind of like a manifestation of uh, something that uh, he brought into his life. Um, you know, uh, you know, if you if you look at like the misvibration or the disharmony, you know, we're attracted to certain things. You know, maybe there's certain people that are always in a car accident. Hmm. You know, you can say, well, it's the way they drive; they're absent-minded, but, but they attract that into their being because of you know, like attracts like. You know, if you're constantly thinking of poverty and not having enough money there's a good chance that you're going to always be broke. So if you're always worried about accidents and you have a fear, you're attracting that into your life. And that's what kind of the thing things we look at in homeopathy. Um, you know, maybe he might have the attitude that the corneal transplant is not going to help me. Nothing's going to help me. And he's putting that vibration out into the, uh, into the world so then... When he does have the corneal transplant, the success rate drops. Hmm. There was a really interesting book written uh, called The Anthropologist on Mars by Oliver Sacks. Uh -huh. And what Oliver Sacks did is he studied many cases of people that were blind and had the opportunity to have an operation or some procedure to regain all of their sight. Hmm. And he reviewed the historical literature on all of these people. And it's interesting. Every single one of them rejected their sight. They hmm. prefer to be blind. Hmm. And you may ask yourself, well, how can that be? You know, somebody that's blind, if they get their vision back, it's simply because the underlying disturbance hasn't been rejected. And there was a movie that was um, released uh, called um, Second Sight, Val Kilmore and Julia Roberts. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. I see. He was a massage therapist, and Julia Roberts was a wealthy woman who went to this resort and met him. And um, he was blind, and she wanted him to see his mm -hmm. eye doctor, and he performed this miraculous operation to regain his sight, but he rejected his vision. So, you know, vision is just more than the physical act of seeing you know, vision is uh, our perception of the world. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Mm -hmm. And many times when people lose their eyesight, there is something that they just don't want to see in metaphysical terms. So we have to address mm -hmm. that first. Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, if you were to have a chance to talk to Chuck's friend, um, you might find out uh, that you're right on the money with that. It may be a simple homeopathic remedy uh, or just a change in his perception, huh. um, you know, would help him. Huh. All right. Well, interesting. Yeah. Anything well, else, Chuck? Yeah, I got another question for you. I'm blind as a bat, and I've considered LASIK surgery or maybe radiokeratotomy. Um, what's your feeling on either of those procedures? Well, earlier I talked about suppression, um, that... 
you know, we have symptoms, and if they're the underlying cause isn't treated properly, then it could lead to a deeper disease. Yes. So you mentioned you have LASIK, you're blind as a bat. Um, you know, there's probably a reason why you're blind as a bat, or even why you use that expression, I'm blind as a bat. Um, and the laser surgery may superficially treat the problem, but if the underlying condition is still there, then you might develop complications or problems with the LASIK surgery because the true cause hasn't been addressed. Well, I thought it was just parts as parts, and they wear out after you, you know, as you go down this road of life. Yeah, but that's the allopathic, you Approach. know. Our body's like a machine. You know, we just patch it up, change the oil, do a heart transplant, you know, but our bodies are much more complicated than that. Well, yes. And that, you know, the, the energy, the emotional state, our, our visualization, our mind, uh, our spirit are all, you know, controlling the whole mechanism of our body. It is like you said earlier, Dr. Condrod, about uh, um, you don't just look at the symptom, but you kind of say, uh, how does that symptom actually affect you in your daily life? Is it really bothering you, yes or no? Right. And then then approach it uh, from that angle. Because LASIK surgery can be extremely successful. Mm -hmm. And um, most people that have the LASIK surgery do well. Yes. But on the other hand, a few people have... Uh, complications, a few people have energetic shifts in their body, they may become depressed or um, may develop um, other problems not even related to the eyes because oh. of the surgery, because of this energetic, you know, movement in our body. Hmm. All right. Well, Chuck, does that answer the question? Well, now I'm really confused. <laughs> Just stay tuned. Don't, don't go anywhere, Chuck. You're going to have to stay until the end of the program. Maybe you get the old, all the answers. <laughs> yes. Well, all right, Jacobus, back to you. Thank you. Cola, good morning. Uh, your name, please. How can we help you? Oh, this is Ruth, Jacobus, and Hi, here Ruth. I am again. Yes. I have uh, some questions for the good doctor, and uh, I think he's just right on. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Ruth. Doctor, we have several situations in our family. I have a daughter who lost a job that she thought she would have all of her life. She's a lawyer. And since then, she's developed uh, obesity, anxiety, and anger. And I, I looked it up in my manual, but I'm not you know, familiar enough with homeopathy to know what to do. And I wonder about aconite or what else could you suggest for her to well, get back you know, on track again. It's uh, interesting that her symptoms developed after loss of her job. Right, absolutely. And the body has re reacted by the obesity, the depression, and these other changes. But, um, you know, uh, I really can't advise you on a, on a specific remedy. I would not be doing homeopathy justice because typically when I evaluate a person, I spend at least an hour and a half with them you know, asking questions and probing and, you know, finding out, um, you know, just simply what was it about her job that she liked? I mean, how did she feel when she lost her job? Uh, and why is it, um, you know, she's an attorney, and I don't know of that many unemployed attorneys. I think that, you know, uh, attorney, an attorney is a profession that is widely needed in our society, and there's many job openings. So it's probably more complex than just, you know, and why why she, why she did she lose her job? Well, there was a downsizing situation in the firm, and they lost their uh, primary client, which happened to be Ford Motor Company at the time, and that's the one that she worked on on product liability. 
And when they lost that, they had to let several people go. She wasn't the only one, and she's got a marvelous resume and so on. But it really kicked her in the shins, and she just hasn't recovered. She is recovering some now. She's laid off for quite a while, and and she's, uh, you know, doing a lot of reading and meditating and trying to bring herself back, and she's doing pretty well now. But, but Now, uh, why um, uh, the aconite is usually for one of the symptoms is a lot of anxiety and a fear of death. Right. Oh, you know, right. oh, it goes with a fear of death. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, strong fear of death. In fact, one of the keynotes with aconite is that not only do they have the fear of death, they actually can can predict their death. I didn't they, realize that. Shows they, how much you don't know when you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. You know? <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Well, uh, how much is a consultation with you, doctor? She's in uh, Colorado, and I wondered uh, what she would uh, be able to do if she talked to you on the phone, and how much is a consultation on the phone? Well, typically for uh, an initial consultation is $200. And, uh, and that lasts for how long? Uh, probably an hour, hour and a half. Uh, do you think in your mind that this would be uh, adequate for you to treat, treat her over the phone? Somewhere? I hope so. You do? I've, I've already started with the case taking already through you. So. Oh, great. <laughs> I'll take some notes here and, and make sure that I, you know. But uh, and another remedy that just came to my mind is a calcarea carbonica. Um, these are people that, um, you know, work is important, security is important, and there's a, there's a tendency for, uh, you know, obesity, and they have a lot of fears and anxiety. Well, she never had obesity in her whole life until now. Never. Yeah. Not as a, what was that, carbonica? What was the first word? Uh, uh, Cali. Oh, Cali. Or, uh, sorry, Calcaria carbonica. Cali, K-A-L-I, understand. Calcaria carbonica. It's with a C, uh, C-A-L-C. Is that, oh, is that a C on that? Yeah. yeah okay. C-A-L-C carbonica, but I really wouldn't prescribe that because, you know, we, we got to do a lot more um, well, investigation you gotta, here. you got to find oh, the absolutely. right dilution. But it's interesting to at least know that much, just out you know, of because, because now, what happens is that you, you give a homeopathic remedy based on impulse, and then it doesn't work, and then you make a categorical statement that homeopathy, you know, has no effect. <laughs> that would never happen with us, but anyway, I, I appreciate that now. I have another question. We have, uh, my husband has AD, and I was wondering if there's a homeopathic remedy for possible mercury that, that he might take without us doing a hair analysis. And he had all his amalgams out many years ago, but you know how it goes. So I wondered if that might be a trigger for AD along with many other things. And if you have any homeopathic remedies, basically, that would help AD. Well, there are some homeopathic companies uh, that have a whole detoxification method hmm. where, where you take uh, combination remedies to detoxify the body. Now, I'm not usually too keen on that, and I don't recommend that enthusiastically, but that's one way to approach the problem. Uh-huh. My approach has always been to look at the symptoms. Uh-huh. And so if you think it's mercury uh, toxicity, you know, what are the primary symptoms that he has? How is it affecting him emotionally? How is he limited? Well, he has Alzheimer's, and he also has Parkinson's. So who knows what all might be involved here? Yeah, so you want to look at these symptoms as related to the neurological system. Mm-hmm. And it could be homeopathic mercury. It could be homeopathic palumbum. It could be any number of homeopathic remedies that have a uh, predilection to the nervous system. Well, aside from the toxicity that you're talking about, uh, do you have any specifics with homeopathy on AD? There's hardly anything else we can do with. I'm working with supplements, but you know, I'm looking uh, with an open mind to homeopathy too. If it's yeah, possible. but see, it's really difficult. I can't give you one remedy for AD. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because we in homeopathy we treat the person, we don't treat the right, disease. Right, right, uh huh. And that's what makes it. Well, it makes it interesting, and that's what makes it more effective. Well, if I were to call you for a consultation on him, now he's not able to speak to you intelligently at all. We got well, to I run. Could, Ruth, I could we have to run. I could probably it through you. Okay. Talk to you. Thank you. All right. Well, folks, and if you want to talk to Dr. Kondrat um, after the program, give him a call at 800-430-9328. 430-9328. Be right back. We have a caller on hold. Caller, thanks for joining us today. Your name, how can we help you? Hi, uh, my name is Carol. And Hello, Carol. It's a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank Dr. you. Dr. Conrad. I have heard very good things about you. And it's a pleasure to listen to this program. Well, thank, uh, thank you. Thank you, Carol. I have three quick questions. First of all, uh, does homeopathy, uh, is there a shelf life to that product? Uh, typically, a homeopathic remedy will last forever. Okay. Uh, uh, one way to antidote the remedy is if you store it in extreme heat. Some hmm. people say that if it gets above 120 degrees, it could affect the resonance of homeopathy. Okay. Uh, but I know homeopathic remedies that have taken through security at airports, and they still have the proper residence. Mm. Okay. Okay, that's that's good to know because I bought some a long time ago and still have it and um, just wondered if there was a shelf life. The other question that I have is is taking aspirin on a regular basis like has been recommended for heart um, you know problems is that uh, a negative for your eye? I think it's a big negative for the eye. Okay. I think there's probably more deaths and more visual loss from aspirin than any other single product. Okay. I recently because went- aspirin thins the blood, and um, I think it makes an individual more prone to develop bleeding in the eye. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm you know if you if your doctor did recommend you take aspirin, I'm not saying to stop it. Right. I do not take it, but I, I think just- you need to consult with uh, a naturopathic doctor because there's natural products such as ginkgo biloba and vitamin E mm-hmm. that can also thin the blood. Exactly. Well, and there is also um, uh, this product, natto kinase, natto kinase, which is a uh, comes from the soy natto, uh, fermented soy, which helps to break down fibrinogen in the bloodstream. And I think that if people have a blood clotting because of fibrous tissue then uh, using natokinase by just dissolving the fibrous tissue is better than thinning the entire blood with the Coumadin or an aspirin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That is, that's an excellent product to yes. consider. One other quick question. I, I was recently reading about a compound called dipeptide compound uh, that is maybe a new treatment for macular degeneration. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not familiar with that. And how how does this uh, work, the dipeptide? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to learn more about that. But it's it's used as an eye drop, and it's spelled D-I-P-E-P-T-I-D-E mm. compound. I mm. just wondered if you might be familiar. I wonder if this is the uh, carnosine eye drop. The carnosine has been uh, reported <laughs> as having a lot of positive effect with different eye problems. Mm-hmm. All I know is it was indicated, but I am going to learn a little more about that. I have been diagnosed as having dry, or the beginnings of dry macular degeneration, and I want to do things now to um, 
prevent or delay that problem? Well, um, maybe I could answer that question, and I think it would benefit a lot of other listeners. Mm -hmm. What are some simple steps you could take uh, if you have early macular degeneration, or for that matter, any early eye disease? But I would also appreciate, once you get the information on that product, if you could um, you know, send it to me at the office. I would be happy to do that. Because I tell my patients, I learn more from my patients than I do from most medical meetings. Good point. <laughs> so it's an individual like you. Yes. Have you heard of this, Dr. Kondrat? And I say, no. You give me the material, and I go, hmm, this may work. And I begin using it in my practice, and pretty soon it becomes common treatment. Very good. And what did you, what did, what did you ask me if it was uh, a similar name? Now, uh, the carnosine drops. The L-carnosine. is an amino acid or protein, oh, okay. and it is spelled L dash, and then C A R, N O the N from Nicholas N O S Simon I N E, carnosine. Okay. okay. But a couple of things I wanted to mention uh, to treat your early dry macular degeneration. There was a book written by Dr. Batman Jaldi. So are we done, Ruth? Of uh, Carol? No. Did you have oh, another question? I'm done with my questions, yes. So right, I can well, hang up. Thanks for the call. Very good. Okay, thank okay. you. Bye-bye. There was a, a book written by Dr. Batman Jaldi on your body's many cries for water. Mm -hmm. And he feels that many chronic diseases um, are caused by dehydration. And as we get older, we tend to cut back on our water consumption. Yes. So anyone that's diagnosed with macular degeneration, I would suggest that you increase your water consumption and keep your body hydrated. Yes. And the reason for that is that water is probably the best means of detoxifying your body. And in macular degeneration, the retinal cells accumulate toxins. They're not able to be eliminated by the body, and you develop drusen and changes that lead to visual loss. Yes. And the general rule I use is that you should drink half of your body weight in ounces of water. Hmm. So if you weigh 180 pounds, then you should be drinking 90 ounces of water. The second hmm. thing is that I would say 80 to 90% of, of the uh, population, even though they're taking zinc as a supplement, are deficient in zinc. Absolutely. And there's a simple zinc test called a zinc tally test, which can determine if your body has a proper level of zinc. And I would encourage you to uh, check with your naturopathic doctor mm. and uh, have that test taken. It's, uh, you just taste a liquid and you record um, the taste, and that can be very helpful to determine your zinc levels. Oh, okay. And the third thing is to really look at your diet. You know, everything goes back to our diet. You know, we are what we eat. And in order to have good vision, you need to eat colorful food. Colorful food will give you colorful vision. Mm -hmm. So I tell all my patients um, that 70% of your diet should be colorful, organic, living food. Uh, avoid fruits and vegetables that are cooked. You want food that is alive, that has more life. And certainly avoid food uh, that is... Um, you know, with preservatives and pesticides because we want to eliminate those toxins from our body. Yeah. And sometimes those three simple steps, you know, the food consumption, making sure your zinc is adequate, drinking plenty of water, that alone can help turn around uh, the beginning stages of a chronic, chronic eye problem. Yeah. Huh. Well, that is good stuff. 
we we uh, talked uh, obviously we we talk quite a bit about treatments and and as you mentioned uh, it, it just opens the eyes for people to see what is out there um and it is hard for you to of course diagnose or treat over the phone at this point because uh, you need to know more about the individual so you suggest people either give you a call set them an appointment find somebody they can talk to and really spend time to learn more about the whole person and what makes that person tick body mind and spirit um but one of the things that is is a growing problem is macular degeneration and you you talk about this degenerative disorder there is the wet and the dry um how does one uh, why how do i say it um do you have any idea why that is such a problem these days with macular degeneration do you see it is because we're not living by the three rules about water and zinc levels and diet or do you feel there is other possibilities here well i think the reason goes much deeper you know the three reasons are the three things that i told you to do is just simply steps to take to try to help uh slow the process and maybe reverse it but i think macular degeneration is an epidemic now yeah and i believe that it's probably related to toxins in our environment. Mm -hmm. I also also think it's related to the indiscriminate use of antibiotics and medications uh -huh. and also uh, immunizations, immunizations and vaccinations. Yes. You know, we're suppressing and destroying our immune system. Mm -hmm. So normally the strength that our body should have to fight off uh, pathogens and free radicals is, is decreasing. Yeah, And the other big reason is the mental and emotional state. You know, people, uh, many people in our society are just unhappy with our existence. Hmm. You know, we, we have a society of entitlement. You know, we're entitled to all these benefits uh, without working. And, um, you know, people get depressed and they just don't want to see the beauty of the world. If you don't want to see the beauty of the world... You're going to lose your vision because your body, you're telling your body, I don't need my eyes. Yes. There's nothing I want to see. Yes. So changing your mental and emotional attitude, you know, to enjoy the beauty of our, of our world and to live life with enthusiasm, mm. that I think can help improve your vision. Yeah. Huh. Carla, thanks for joining us today. Your name, please. How can we help you? Uh, my name is Paula. Hello, Paula. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, to both you and the doctor. Thank you. I have a strange thing that happens. I have macular degeneration in one eye, and I use a micro-tens machine and apply it to the nine acupuncture uh, points around the eye. Now, on three of those points, when the I apply the tens, the black spot becomes red. Do you have any explanation of that? Well, it sounds like the TENS uh, machine is improving the circulation or stimulating some part of the eye to cause that color change. But you have to be careful with the TENS unit because some of the machines you're able to control the current. And by, cha by turning the current too high, you can actually cause harm to your eye. Well, in this machine, it all stays the same, so there's no way to change it. Oh. So, but it's just in those three spots that it does turn red. And I wondered if it were blood circulation to it or what, so I thought I'd call and ask. 
Now, um, is it helping your vision? Have you noticed uh, some improvement of your vision? Yes. Good. Yeah, because there's no question that microcurrent can be very successful in improving blood flow, stimulating uh, retinal cell activity, and removing scar tissue. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, if people are deficient in zinc, the microcurrent is not going to work as effectively. Well, I, I would, take a supplement of, I think it's called Opti-L Zinc. But yeah. sometimes even people that are taking a good supplement are still deficient. That's and this true. has to do with uh, digestion and absorption. As we get older, you know, um, the vitamins we take are not absorbed. That's why I think it's important to look at digestive enzymes, probiotics, and things like that to mm-hmm. take along with your vitamin. Yeah. And what I recommend is for people that take zinc, Maybe take a little bit of apple cider vinegar with their zinc capsule. Hmm. So put about a teaspoon and a half a cup of water and uh, take your zinc supplement that way. Yeah. All right. Well, I thank you very much, doctor. You have uh, made me look forward to perhaps getting more blood to it. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> thank you, Paula. Appreciate the program very much, both of you. Thanks for your support, mm-hmm. Paula. Bye. Bye-bye. You know the easiest way to increase blood flow to your eye? What's that? You don't have to buy an expensive microcurrent device. It's simply exercise. Huh. Um, you know, putting down the remote control, getting away from the TV, and taking a nice walk outside. Yes. And, uh, you know, aerobic activity, you know, will increase blood flow to every part of your body, including the eye. Yes. So I think I exercise should be considered a, a valuable um, component of anyone who's interested in improving their eye health. Right. Well, that's a, that's a good point. But obviously, uh, when we've uh, we've talked about it in a previous show, some people can overdo that also, and then they're actually oxygenating the of uh, uh, oxidizing the body. And so, it is important for them to after the exercise that they take antioxidants to replenish what they have lost during the exercise. So, exercise everything in moderation. Uh, is probably what you're talking about. Right, balance. I think we all need a balance in our life. That's right. Now, um, glaucoma. Can we talk a little bit about glaucoma? Uh, Because I I get more and more people coming in the store talking about glaucoma, uh, depression in the eye. That can have several causes. And do you have any suggestions what people could do for that? Well, you know, glaucoma is very complex because glaucoma is more than the pressure increase. Yes, it, has, it mainly has to do with circulation of the optic nerve. Uh-huh. So one of the approaches that I've used is using the microcurrent, because we know microcurrent improves circulation to the optic nerve. Mm-hmm. And also we're studying different fre- frequencies that have the ability to actually lower the intraocular pressure. Yes. But it's kind of interesting. Some of my best success with treatment of glaucoma has been in detoxifying the patient. Uh-huh. There seems to be a toxic load in the body. And uh, by, you know, drinking more water, doing a liver cleanse, uh, detoxification bath, and things like this, Hmm. by purifying the body. And, of course, you know, when we talk about removing toxins from the body, we also have to make a good effort to prevent them from going into the body. Yes. It's not going to do you any good to take a detox bath every day and then go through the fast food line and eating all kind of foods that have toxins. Yes. But probably the allopathic approach has been to lower the intraocular pressure. 
And unfortunately, many of the eye drops that are prescribed are toxic in themselves. Huh. So they may lower the pressure, but they cause other side effects. Um, so my work has been in improving the circulation to the optic nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise is a good way to do that, uh, microcurrent stimulation. And, of course, there are some very good vitamin products, such as ginkgo biloba, coleus for scoli, and vitamin E. I also heard that um, that larger dosages, like eight to 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C, has shown effect in, uh, in uh, taking the pressure out of the eye. Right, exactly, because it has, that has an osmotic effect. Uh-huh. Uh, by taking five plus grams of vitamin C, yes, that will lower the pressure, and plus it's a very powerful antioxidant. It's a type of a chelator, too, to remove heavy metals and poisons. So that has benefited many patients, the high doses of vitamin C. Hmm. But, you know, when we go back to the basic homeopathic principles to look to the underlying cause, and sometimes I think there's a very strong emotional component to glaucoma. Wow. Um, You know, some people feel that uh, it's the business of suppressed tears. Hmm. You know, tears that are suppressed and it builds up the pressure in the eye. So... um, that is an important aspect to look at. Wow. You know, the emotional component of glaucoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe our caller has a comment about that. Caller, thanks for joining us. Your name, how can we help you? Yeah, hi, my name is Peter. Hello, and Peter. Yeah, hi, Peter. Hi. Um, I got a quick question. I was wondering if you've ever used uh, Dr. Christopher's eye wash. It's got a tiny bit of cayenne in it. And it's, an eye bright, I think also eye bright. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I, think and I, a, I know it makes your eye tear, but it feels really good afterwards. I think it can be a, a good eye drop um, because, you know, what it's doing, the cayenne is uh, stimulating the energy. It's stimulating, stimulating the blood flow. Blood flow, right. And, of course, yeah. the eyebright ingredient, eyebright is probably one of the oldest known herbs to treat um, ocular disorders. Um, mm. So I think that it's a good product. Although, any time you treat the eye, you know, with over-the-counter products, I do think that you should be under the care of uh, an eye doctor, uh, mainly because the eye is a very complex organ, and uh, you should have, uh, you know, the pressures uh, measured and um, uh, someone evaluate what's going on inside the eye during these therapies. Mm. Hmm. That's, that's a good point. I mean, I I think that a wash uh, with, uh, like what Peter was mentioning, with the Cayenne and Eyebright, uh, you know, Peter, I have tried that too, and it is, uh, you got to be very careful how many drops you use, because I think they say you can use five drops, and then the rest is like a lukewarm water, I think, and I did three drops, and that was already pretty intense, so I'm glad I never tried the five. I was strong. I was crying. <laughs> yeah, one thing yeah, one thing that I like is just simply making some eyebright tea. Yes. You know, brew yourself a cup of eyebright tea and then you can drink the tea and then take the tea bag or make a compress and use that on your eye. Yes. It is very very soothing and can cause some a nice relief of ocular strain or uh discomfort. Hmm. Okay. Good point. Was that Thank it, Peter? Much. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, thanks for the call. 
All right. Yeah, thank you for the call. We were talking about the glaucoma, and I like that. I like that answer that you give about that, because I think, like we go back to what you mentioned in the first hour, how much emotion and imbalance uh, can have to do with physical ailments. And if, indeed, we look at a physical ailment as a as one of the exits in the body that is uh, that is weak where the door is slightly open so the body is using it to come out then indeed uh, we we have to look at a deeper cause of the problem but what peter says is good i mean there are definitely certain things that have shown to help to benefit the the specific symptom but uh, to truly find healing we have to look deeper and many times uh, you know an individual uh, when they develop a disease, uh, they're not ready to look for the deeper causes. Um, often the universe kind of points us uh, and makes it necessary for us to do that. You know, some people develop a minor eye problem and, you know, several applications of an eye drop will take care of it. Others, it becomes chronic nature and leads to a more severe problem. And then, uh, you know, they're forced to a certain extent to try to understand, you know, what is going on yeah. and what is necessary to truly treat and cure this problem yeah you have definitely given us uh, today i some of your answers were a lot most every every answer has been awesome but uh, some of your answers really hit a very deep note and i i i really was uh, i really enjoyed my conversation with you dr condrat um, dr condrat has written a couple books healing the eye the natural way alternative medicine and macular degeneration and the other book is called microcurrent stimulation miracle eye cure you can find him by going to the internet and go to healingthei.com or give him a call at 800 430 9328. Dr. Conrad, all the best with your work, and I hope to talk to you again in the near future. And thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure being a guest on your radio show, and good luck to you and all your good work. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that compliment. Talk to you then. The spiritual emotional axle is the driving force behind all healing. You're listening to Gazoon Tight with Jacobus. Watching you, watching you.